Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah 19 today. As we continue through these oracles against the nations, or are they really against the nations? Again, here we just have the phrase, an Egypt oracle. And towards the end of the chapter here, in chapter 19, we, we get actually words of blessing here. And it's not just Egypt that we're talking about, clearly. So, so you know, this is just kind of another one of these oracles that kind of challenges maybe some of our assumptions going in here. Yeah, there's words of woe, and yeah, there's definitely in the first part some words of disaster, but the picture is a lot bigger than that. And so helping us to put the pieces together today, We've got uh, one of our one of our good, stable, and uh, returning guests here back after a little bit here. We've got Pastor Thomas Eckstein, pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Welcome back. It's so nice to have you back on, brother. How are you doing? Well, it's good to be back. And as far as how I'm doing, well, winter's on its way now in North Dakota. Ah, <laughs> yeah. My goodness, it's probably already looking like snow in your forecast or something. Yeah, I don't it? know if you checked the Weather Channel. I mean, the, the previous few days were actually quite balmy, but uh, now uh, we have, we're in the middle of a major snowstorm. In fact, I don't ah. know if the weatherman is correct, but he says we're supposed to get close to two feet of snow. So we'll see. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes it. So how, did, how does trick-or-treating work in North Dakota when it's like that? <laughs> oh, nothing stops us. If it's oh. cold, we still go out and do what we need to do. We're not going to stop the kids from getting their candy. Uh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> will, will anything stop the kids from getting their candy? <laughs> uh, it, it would take a lot in North Dakota. Yeah, <laughs> uh, very, very good. Very good. Well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, by God's grace, right? You know, there's, there's uh, certainly a little bit of snow is not going to stop the radio from working here on KFUO. So that's, that's very good. And here we are looking at another chapter of Isaiah. Um, You know, I've I've talked with a a few of our guests here about this. I mean, it is interesting how this, there's this whole huge chunk of Isaiah that just shows up nowhere in the lectionary. And so it's like, this is probably the first time that a number of our listeners will actually have heard this chapter read. Right. And there's some, some, like you, uh, 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 mentioned in your introduction, uh, there's some surprising gospel uh, uh, in the midst of these doom and gloom prophecies here. So, uh, all right. Well, and it's especially a surprising too because it's Egypt, right? And so, like the language here is actually going to be very reminiscent of the Exodus from Egypt. Um, and so, you would expect, you know, just you know, lots of words of judgment. Um, you know, Egypt is just one of these, you know, prototypical bad guys, right? I mean, we kind of talked about that when we kind of got these uh, oracles started and we looked at that oracle against Babylon. And I mean, Egypt and Babylon, these are like the bad guys of the Old Testament over and over and over again. Um, and yet, for there to be words of blessing or any good news at all for Egypt is uh, astounding. Right, right. And, you know, but I think one thing we need to remember is that uh, e- even during the original Exodus, uh, you know, that we can read about in the book of Exodus, obviously, you know, e- even though it sounds like God is just totally opposed to the nation of Israel, we, we need to remember that behind all this, God is-, is actually calling them to repent. In fact, we do know that, you know, when you read about the Exodus, uh, it talks about a mixed number 
leaving. Yeah. And, and so yeah. we, we do have some Egyptians, apparently, who repented and, and decided to follow the people of God to the Promised Land. And, and, and we know the heart of God. He would have loved all of Egypt to repent. But, uh, you know, so, so God, uh, you know, kills that he might make alive. He, he disciplines that, that he might lead us to repentance. And, and we see this brought out beautifully in this chapter. Right. You know, and that's, that's a good point. You know, it's so easy just to overlook these things and to say, like, you know, everything was just totally doom and gloom and there was no hope for anyone until the New Testament. But, I mean, you know, Jesus Christ, the strong word of God, I mean, he's there and he's alive and he's active and he's working things, even in the Old Testament, even bringing people to repentance from Egypt, just like you were saying. And, uh, I mean, you know, um, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, seeing how, it's it's easy to see how Jesus is showing up when you see the phrase the angel of the Lord, and certainly right. when we're talking about the Assyrians, we're talking about the angel of the Lord. When you're talking about Passover, that destroyer, that angel of the Lord, angel of death. I mean, that's the thing. You're saying he kills that he may make alive, and so you know, there's there's the Lord Jesus bringing Egyptians even back to life, even there. So, I mean, you you got to be able to appreciate how God was already setting this stuff up in the Old Testament so that when he shows up in a big way in the New Testament, it's not like he's changed his mind. It's just that you're finally seeing what you could kind of see at a distance and, and through kind of a, a dark lens the whole while. Yes, exactly, exactly. And, uh, and when we get into the end of Isaiah chapter 19, uh, there's uh, you know, a, a lot of stuff that people can debate about as far as the precise meaning. But, but, but one thing that comes very clear is that the, the, the end of Isaiah 19 is pointing ahead to the time when the gospel will be going out in all the earth. And, uh, and uh, even today, we, we see, you know, in parts of the Middle East, thank God, uh, th- there are Muslims coming to faith in Christ, you know. And, right. uh, you know, we can thank God for, for that continuing mission uh, in, in the world where God is, is seeking and saving the lost. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you mentioned that, and that's, I mean, it's very, I mean, my goodness, there's just so many different things going on in the Middle East right now. I mean, there always, there always are, um, but, you know, I mean, of course, we're, I, we're all thinking about, like, the, the Kurds in Syria, and, and um, but the other thing that I saw, you mentioned like, just the, the massive um, you know, con- conversion and growth of the church in the Middle East. One, one of the biggest movements that I was just kind of reading about maybe like a week or so ago is just the explosive growth that you see in Iran of all places. Yeah. And, and that like there you've got this church that's, I mean, it's kind of just operating underground. I mean, like if they have any kind of like uh, public presence, they're going to be immediately um, dealt with, with without really any mercy. But so you have like this kind of um, operation that's going on kind of in the shadows. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of actually work being done by the women of Iran, um, who are, who are really driving this and get putting a lot of energy into it. And so it's, you you don't think about that, but you know, I mean, who knows what things are going to look like, you know, in, in 10, 20 years, like what kind of Christian presence you're going to have even in those sorts of places. Yeah, in fact, one thing I said to somebody, you know, obviously I'm not a prophet. I don't know how history is going to play out. But I was reading an article recently that talked about how because of the low birth rate of Europeans, the high birth rate of the Muslims there, that that Europe could be a Muslim continent in a few decades. But then I Mm -hmm. thought to myself, 
Wouldn't it be interesting? We know how Christianity has all but died in Europe. Wouldn't it be interesting if, if, if it becomes a Muslim continent, but then all the Muslims convert to Christianity? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Europe would be a Christian nation again. <laughs> you, you know, you know, you know. Stra- stranger things have happened. Stranger yeah. things have happened, and God certainly works in mysterious. I mean, you know, this, that's the thing, right? I mean, He uses. You know the, the the Assyrians and the Babylonians to to you know punish his own people only to to have his people then be a light to the nations. So I mean it's it's uh, yeah God, God surprises us all the time. Yeah. Well, well, let's go ahead and get into this here. And as we do, would you say a prayer for for us and for everybody listening? I will, and actually, I'm going to say a special prayer. We, we here in the Midwest and North Dakota, there's been a ton of moisture, and now we got all this snow, so the farmers are really hurting. So uh, uh, lift them up too. So, uh, fun, Heavenly yeah. Father, as we come before you today, we we thank and praise you uh, for the hope that we are going to be given in this wonderful chapter of Isaiah, where in the midst of of your uh, uh, um, righteous judgment against sin, you you have the promise of forgiveness and salvation uh, through your Son, and. And, and we pray, Lord, that, that those who hear this broadcast today uh, will be strengthened in their faith, or if any are listening that do not know you, that by your Spirit, through this Word, they would be drawn to repentance and faith in you and the hope you give them in your Son. And, and finally, Lord, we do lift before you in a special way uh, the, the many farmers uh, in the Midwest region that, that are dealing with uh, significant difficulties because of all the excess moisture. Uh, uh, many, of the crop, many of the crops are being ruined, and it's hard for them to, to harvest the ones that are ready to be harvested. Uh, Lord, we know that you are the God of creation. You are the one who is in control of the weather. So we just commend this situation to you. Uh, if it be your will, we pray that you would bring relief to the farmers. But if not, Lord, help them to trust in you and know that in the, in the midst of earthly catastrophe, they, they have a certain hope in you that can never be taken away. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, I mean, that that, that is, we're going to read about, you know, disaster, even for, you know, like farmers in a situation like this. And it's just, you know, God is, God is in control of all these things and can work good even out of disaster. Exactly. All right. Well, let's go ahead and read the first several verses here. You know, um, we're going to see some things that will remind us of the previous chapter chapter 18 you know which we read about about those uh, i guess a couple different names for it you know ethiopia kush nubia they're gonna kind of come back a little bit in chapter 19 but i think we should just actually get there first um and and we'll and we'll see some other things too that kind of um you know point ahead i, I mean i mean we're gonna see kush just like again in the very next chapters but let's just read it and uh i think the text kind of starts to speak for itself so let's start here with verse one an oracle concerning egypt behold the lord is riding on a swift cloud and comes to egypt and the idols of egypt will tremble at his presence and the heart of the egyptians will melt within them And I will stir up Egyptians against Egyptians, and they will fight each other. And against each other, his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. And the spirit of the Egyptians within them will be emptied out. And I will confound their counsel. And they will inquire of the idols and the sorcerers and the mediums and the necromancers. And I will give over the Egyptians into the hand of a hard master. And a fierce king will rule over them, declares the Lord God of hosts. 
All right. So, I mean, it's interesting. It starts off sounding very Exodus-like, right? You know, riding on a swift cloud um, comes to Egypt, the idols tremble at his presence. I mean, this is, you'd think this was actually a couple of verses straight out of Exodus. Uh, but, But then there's a little bit of a turn where there's something of infighting among the Egyptians, and then the Egyptians are conquered by somebody so what's what's going on here what's what's in view well we do know from uh, you know the history that we do have from this period that that you know when, when assyria does uh come against uh egypt uh they, they end up being divided into to little you know uh city states and and uh regions that have their own you know uh rulers and, and uh often the, the, they would end up in conflict with each other uh you know later on in history they do end up having uh uh a, a, a single ruler again but for a period in history after the assyrian attack uh, they are a divided kingdom and often you know at odds with each other and so very likely this is what uh the section of Isaiah is referring to. Well, so certainly you, you see that with the Assyrian forces coming, and this this is their mo. They they go in, they they you know they wreak havoc, and then they install a, a little like puppet king or the through whom they will rule effectively. Um, they don't really let any leaders survive, and so certainly this could be referring to the hard rule of the Assyrians. Um, the the other thing that's interesting, though, you know. Uh, in chapter 18, you've got Cush or Nubia, right, um, or Ethiopia, depending on like uh, the term that you're f- more familiar with. Uh, in verse in chapter 20, you get Cush again um, being mentioned. I wonder if this is also perhaps a reference to what happened um, at a little bit of an earlier point in history, where actually the kingdom of Nubia extended some of its rule into Egypt. And actually, I, I think that Pastor Shank yesterday was talking about that a little bit, um, that there was a time where, you know, there was a, yeah, there was a pharaoh over Egypt, but I mean, mm-hmm. he wasn't even Egyptian. He was actually a Nubian, I, I think he was saying. Well, exactly. In fact, again, people debate about what verse 4 is actually talking about, who this cruel master is. Is it, is it a, a later pharaoh who is cruel, and, and there are some pharaohs that some have in mind, or is it, like you said, a foreign king who actually isn't even Egyptian that, that, that ends up ruling over them? Uh, in either case, whoever this may be, and we can never know for sure, uh, this, is, this person's going to be a judgment <laughs> over uh, uh, Egypt. It won't be a blessing to them it, it'll, it'll be someone who rules over them in a very fierce and cruel manner right right yeah and it, it is hard to kind of you know nail these sorts of things down um exactly partly just because all these prophecies seems like it seems like each of these things could refer to multiple happenings because it seems like they're just kind of fulfilled multiple times right oh, exactly, whether it's exactly. whether it's you know they're get, being given over to the the nubians or, or whether it's uh, you know the the Assyrians, or or even um, I mean you know if you go a lot later, you know we, we've talked about um, Antiochus the fourth with relation to Daniel. You know is it is it you know Antiochus right? Maybe Antiochus the third later on. So okay. I mean it, it just kind of keeps happening. Um, but certainly from like the perspective of the people of God, uh, regardless of kind of uh, what particular. Uh, instantiation of the fulfillment are we that we're talking about it's god's hand that's behind it and so it, it's it's seeing this perspective of okay god's the one doing this and it sort of um you know very naturally raises a question of so what's god up to 
Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and this is so important. We see this uh, other places in Scripture. You know, uh, behind all this is God-directing events. And, and we need to remember that because so often people today are tempted to think, uh, you know, when bad things happen, they're either random or, or the devil's doing it, and, but God right. has nothing, nothing to do with catastrophes or, 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 or bad things. And, right. and we, we have to be careful. Obviously, God yeah. does cause sin itself, but he, he does uh, use the evil of this world for his purposes. And, uh, you know, so sometimes, w- whether it's a, a catastrophe or even an, an evil nation, uh, they might think they're acting of their own accord, but, but God, God is playing them. You know, God will even use the, the, the forces of evil for his own purposes, ultimately, to bring about good. Absolutely, and I think that's what we're going to see here. So let's go ahead and, and read a little bit more because we're going we're gonna to get to this and see how the, the good is, is worked even in the midst of the, the calamity here. So we just left it off at four. So here's picking it up at five. And we just described these four verses kind of setting up a political turmoil, but it's not just political. And we, and we see this again and again, whether it was like with Moab, where Moab seems to be suffering both by the oppression of the Assyrians and also some kind of a drought. Maybe there's some kind of dual, you know, one-two punch here going on. So here's verse 5. And the waters of the sea will be dried up, and the river will be dry and parched, and its canals will become foul, and the branches of Egypt's Nile will diminish and dry up. Reeds and rushes will rot away. There will be bare places by the Nile, on the brink of the Nile, and all that's sown by the Nile will be parched, will be driven away, and will be no more. The fishermen will mourn and lament, all who cast a hook in the Nile, and they will languish who spreads nets on the water. The workers in combed flax will be in despair, and the weavers of white cotton, those who are the pillars of the land, will be crushed, and all who work for pay will be grieved." So, um, so yeah, like I was just saying, you know, it, it's, you look at all these different kind of aspects of, of the economy, whether it's, um, the stuff that is kind of grown and processed like cotton, or even if it's just, you know, the fishermen who are just, you know, looking to, you know, get the fish out of the Nile, that the Nile itself is being attacked and it, you know, it mentions, uh, its canals becoming foul. Um, so on the one hand, this sounds like, you know, some kind of, uh, some kind of drought where you have a really low water level, which leads to all kinds of other problems. So some kind of natural calamity. But again, this sort of feels like the exodus though, right? Right, right, exactly. In fact, there, there's a spiritual component to this too, you know, because earlier in verse one, it talks about the idols of Egypt trembling before uh, right. Yahweh. And um, right. we, we do know that, that for the Egyptians, not only was the Nile uh, very necessary for, for their agriculture and irrigation, but for them, the Nile was divine. Uh, it, right. it, they, 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 they worshipped, you know, the gods uh, of the Nile. And, and here, so, so not only is God showing that he's in control of the weather, but, but this is actually, a, at least uh, uh, God wants the Egyptians to realize this is a judgment on what they perceive to be their gods. And uh, right. it's showing that God is, is the tr- true God, and, and there is no other. Right. No, absolutely. So just like when, you know, when, when Moses, you know, struck the Nile and it turned to blood, right, how that was just a clear image in their mind. Uh, this is a this is a dead 
you know, Nile God. This is like a dead Egyptian God. You know, God is actually waging war here. Yeah, this is, you know, the idols trembling, right? As God, the true God rides in on that swift cloud. So, yeah, you know, it's a, there's definitely, as you were saying, a spiritual dimension to this, um, which, which again is complemented by what we saw in the first part, where it says in verse three, I will confound their counsel. They will inquire of the idols and the sorcerers and the mediums and the necromancers, right? They're they're just, there's these calamities and they're going to their traditional sources of power and information and influence and they're coming up empty. And so, you know, he's doing all this in part to just put on display the, 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 just the, the false hope that is um, the pantheon of Egypt, Exactly, exactly. And, you know, uh, in our modern day and more, uh, how should I say, what we like to call enlightened uh, nations where we, we supposedly no longer believe in the supernatural, but we believe right. in our technology. We believe in our, you know, man's ability to, to promote himself. And, and these false gods, uh, the, the true God can humble as well. Um, we, we, with all of our advances, with all of our technology, uh, all it takes is a few uh, catastrophes from the Lord, and it reminds us how frail and helpless we really are, and that, that our only hope is the Lord. Well, no, exactly, and and this is um, I mean, this, this is what we're going to see in the next section here, where just you know those who are wise and the, those who think they have a handle on everything, and they they you know have have their finger on the pulse of world events and all this. They're going to come up empty here. So this is the theme that just continues very, very parallel to our own situation here. So this is picking it up in verse 11 then. The princes of Zoan are utterly foolish. The wisest counselors of Pharaoh give stupid counsel. How can you say to Pharaoh, I am a son of the wise, a son of ancient kings? Where then are your wise men? Let them tell you that they might know what the Lord of hosts has purposed against Egypt. The princes of Zoan have become fools, and the princes of Memphis are deluded. Those who are the cornerstones of her tribes have made Egypt stagger. The Lord has mingled within her a spirit of confusion, and they will make Egypt stagger in all its deeds as a drunken man staggers in his vomit. And there will be nothing for Egypt that head or tail, palm branch or reed may do. Wow, I mean, just the word—the words of law are just so, so, so condemning. It's just, uh, just you know, taking the wisest people in Egypt and just calling them out as the kind of basest and and most foolish of people you can imagine. Yeah, in fact, well, the 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 verse, you know, where are your wise men now? It 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 it, it, it almost uh, uh, reminds me of the Apostle Paul in the early chapters of First mm-hmm. Corinthians. You know. Where is the wise man? Where is the philosopher right. of this age? You know, yeah. God has made the, the proud foolishness, you know, and uh, so it's so applicable to uh, various points in history. Right, right, right. Well, you know, and it's it's um, it, it's interesting because, of course, you know, when, when Paul is saying that, you know, the, the foolishness and then the reversal, right, is that God has worked through this seeming, you know, foolishness and defeat of his own people, right, um, and, and the destruction of their own Messiah, which is which is so, you know, paradoxical and subversive to the expectation, right? Um, here, though, I mean, it's kind of in, in the kind of the more, a little bit more of the expected sort of uh, form, which which you kind of need in order for, for the cross to come about and be subversive, right? You have, There has to be something to subvert. And so here in the kind of basic sense, 
you've got this, uh, yeah, like their, their foolish, their, their wisdom comes out as foolishness because, you know, every single, every single thing they suggest, it's just disaster on all sides. I mean, like they're, they're just, you know, whether it's going to be through the Nubians or the Assyrians or the infighting among the Egyptians, it's just, everything seems to go from bad to worse. Yes. And I think, you know, what, what's interesting, you mentioned the foolishness of the cross and how, you know, this kind of, uh, the, the wisdom of God catches everybody by surprise. And, and I think what we, what we need to remember, even though God will ultimately rescue us from our enemies in the sense of the devil and, and those who oppose us, we, we need to remember that, 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 that would mean nothing if God did not first rescue us from our true enemy, and that's our own rebellion against God. And I, I just think how in the first chapter of Matthew, the, the angel mentions this beautifully, you know, name the baby Jesus. Why? He's going to save his people from their sins. You know, not the Romans, <laughs> but from their own rebellion against God. And so, so here, I, I think, you know, later on, you know, uh, God's deliverance of Egypt is not merely that, oh, he's going to protect them from earthly invaders, but he's going to deliver them from their own rebellion against God, from their own idolatry, that they might find salvation through faith in, in, in their Creator and Savior. Absolutely. And uh, we, there's a few more things that can be said about that, but we got to go into a short break here. So everybody hang with us. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 19, this Egypt oracle on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. sometimes talk about cutting a deal. This week on the Lutheran Hour, Pastor Ryan Tinetti says in times past, that cutting was more than a figure of speech. Learn what it means to cut a covenant and how God keeps our part of the deal because we couldn't. Hear Pastor Tinetti's message, Faith Unafraid, this week on the Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the Spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you. Touching the lives and the hearts of our listeners with the Word of Christ. Sharper Iron is such an incredible, amazing gift. I thank you so much for what it's doing for me and what I know it must be doing for a lot of other people. God bless. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Today we're joined by Pastor Thomas Eckstein, pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota, where it is already snowing. It's just, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you're in St. Louis, you're thinking to yourself, 
maybe I'd prefer snow right now. I mean, it's always grass is greener on the other side, right? So, um, <laughs> but here we are looking at Isaiah chapter 19, this Egypt oracle. And, uh, you know, just, we were just talking about this here, how, you know, here, whenever there's Egypt, there's just all these different strands that are going to be coming together. You know, there they are. They kind of represent the wisdom of the age. And so you get that kind of um, in the way that Paul talks about how the cross is foolishness, but wisdom to those who are being saved. Um, they're the bad guy, the house of slavery in the Old Testament. You know, there's just there's a lot of things going on. And so if you have a question for us, if you're looking at Isaiah 19 with us, if you got your Bible open, you can give us a call, 314-821-0850 if you're in St. Louis or elsewhere perhaps in North Dakota or any other place where there's too much snow for October, you can call 1-800-730-2727, or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. So, you know, yeah, we were just looking at this here through verse 15, just talking about the chaos, and and God's just working chaos um, as a way of just removing our our rebellious spirit against him you know it's when it's when things are really going really well that we think to ourselves like oh we don't need god and i mean we saw the same thing going on um you know just earlier when those oracles were against i mean really israel and judah you know that things under uzziah and jotham and ahaz were they looked really outwardly fantastic you know like things were prosperous right they had lots of trade deals with everybody and all the rest of it right but it's when we have all those things, it's just it's just too easy for us to go astray. Well, exactly. And and this is such a, a good message for us Christians who live in America. And not that we have to feel bad or guilty about our prosperity, but at the same time, we need to recognize how deceptive and alluring it can be, uh, leading us to think that, that, that our, our wealth, our material possessions is, is what life's about rather than the Lord. And, uh, you know, the, the whole consumerism and, and idolatrous pursuit of that uh, versus finding our, our treasure in Christ. Uh, as American Christians, we need to constantly remember what our true treasure is, uh, lest we be led astray. Absolutely. Right. No, that, that's well put. You know, it's it, the point of this is not that, you know, you would if you're, if you're blessed with with riches that you would, you know, feel feel guilty per se. Um, you know, I mean, and it's interesting because, you know, in the last several chapters in Luke that we've had the past several Sundays, you know, I mean, money's come up as like a big I mean, also in the epistle even. Right. Like um, a couple of weeks ago, we had that in First Timothy. So, I mean, like there's there's a lot of talk about money. Uh, obviously, money is a is a big deal to God um, because uh, where your money is there, your God is also, if I can paraphrase it that way. Um, but that's not to say that having a lot of it is a bad thing. I mean, certainly you have lots of important examples of, of money and people with lots of money, um, actually being a tremendous blessing to God's people and to the church. And so, so, so the question is all just, you know, do, do you kind of, um, you know, get a wash in it and let it intoxicate you and let it, um, you know, like blur your vision or, you know, even if you have a lot, do you, I don't know, is is there a spirit of wisdom there that says, you know what, um, maybe there's a lot of this, but I'm not going to, you know, just, you know, Scrooge McDuck style, just dive into it, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. And, and not only is there the idea of, of avoiding uh, you know, the worship of wealth, but also remembering that, that all we have 
is from uh, is an undeserved gift from God. Because uh, another another deception from the devil is the idea: well, you know, if I'm doing well, it must be because I deserve it. You know, sure. uh, God's mm-hmm. blessing me because I've earned it somehow. And we need to remember: no, uh, all our blessings are our undeserved gifts from God. You know, uh, we're, we're poor, miserable sinners who who live by pure grace, and so uh, we need to always keep that in mind. And so speaking of undeserved grace here, let, let's read the next um, part, the second half of this chapter, because this is the part that I just think is so intriguing. Um, some of the language here, I, I don't know if it occurs elsewhere in the rest of the Bible here. It's extremely provocative language, um, and, and I really want to spend some time exploring, like, you know, how is this fulfilled and, and what does it really look like and what's behind it? So. Uh, let's let's look here at verses uh, 16 through 25 here. And it's, I think it's just better just to kind of put all this together. Um, and we can go back and look at the smaller details um, after we've read it. So here, let's pick it up, the second half of this chapter, a big turn here. In that day, the Egyptians will be like women and tremble with fear before the hand of the Lord of hosts, that the Lord of hosts shakes over them. And the land of Judah will become a terror to the Egyptians. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will fear because of the purpose that the Lord of hosts has purposed against them. In that day there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. One of these will be called the city of destruction. In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. When they cry to the Lord because of the oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and deliver them. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians will know that the Lord in that day will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering, and they will make vows to the Lord and perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt, striking and healing and they will return to the Lord, and he will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Hmm. I mean, that, that last verse, I mean, I just, is it, does it say anywhere else in the Bible, Egypt, my people? I, I, know, I really just, struggle to, I really struggle to think of where, where on earth that would be. And I just think that now we really see the heart of God toward us here. You know, all, right. all the plagues that God poured out on Egypt uh, during the Exodus, um, it wasn't because God hated them. It was because ultimately he desired them to be his people too. Uh, but he right. knew that unless they repented and trusted in him, it couldn't happen. Right. No, that, and that's just the mysterious thing, you know, that, uh, you know, you, you think of it as like, well, you know, God works judgment against all the nations because they're just terrible nations. I mean, he disciplines lovingly his own people, though, right, because he has a special yeah. relationship. But, you know, here in this part of Isaiah, you see that, in a sense, God is disciplining even the nations because even the nations he is counting as his own, you know, even yeah. here in the Old Testament. And and this is... um. 
I mean, it, it's surprising. It's, I mean, it really just, you know, blessed be Egypt, my people. I mean, it's astonishing when you compare that to, um, you know, the first five books of the Bible, you know, Egypt, Egypt, the house of slavery, Egypt, the house of slavery right. again and again, right? I mean, nowhere is there any sense that Egypt could could be his people. But here, you know, you're getting the perspective, like you said, the heart of God behind all of that. And it's astonishing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think of what Paul says, too, in Romans 3, isn't God the God of the Gentiles, too? Well, yes, of course, he's the right. God of the Gentiles, too. And we see this. Uh, it wasn't just Paul's new idea. Isaiah was talking about it already here. Right. Yeah, no, that, that that's right. You know, and so so much of this, you know, scandal of of the of the Gentiles being brought in. I mean, it's it's all anticipated here in Isaiah. I mean, and just just think about that, right? It's not simply that God is just saying these things, but like, look what it says. I mean, there's, you know, in that day, right? There will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of Hosts, right? So we're talking about there's going to be some Egyptian cities in which Hebrew is spoken, I mean, which would imply that they're reading the Hebrew scriptures, right. or, or at least, you know, speaking them, perhaps, yeah. um, from memory even, is another provocative idea. And and here they are swearing allegiance to Yahweh Sabaoth, you know, the yeah. Lord of hosts. And, and I mean, and, and here they are, there's an altar there for the Lord, and there is a pillar there at its border i mean they're worshiping the true god yes and you know we have to be careful some of this language is sort of just speaking almost poetically uh, of the end times and the final final day and how the gospel will spread through the world but but in some very uh specific ways we, we know later after the exile to babylon this is years after what isaiah is writing here but we know eventually there are jewish settlements in Egypt, right, <laughs> and and, exactly. and uh, you know the word of God is brought there, and uh, so you know uh, God actually is in, in in various ways brings fulfillment uh, of this throughout history. Even now, we think of how. Um, well, we think of the early days of the early church, you know, uh, what we would call modern-day Egypt. Uh, Alexandria used to be a huge Christian, you know, area before the Muslims right. took over. Um, you know, and, and so at various points throughout history, absolutely, the, 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 the gospel uh, was brought to Egypt. Right. Yeah. No. And, and specifically, I think you're 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 probably thinking about um, Elephantine, um, that that particular Jewish settlement where there was actually like a, a temple there, and there were, I mean, yeah. you know, there were temple guards, and you you had you know um, things being written, religious texts being written, you know, uh, reflecting the the piety in that place. And I mean, so we we just we just have this stuff. You know, archaeologists have just dug it up and said, yeah, some of this was actually just literally happening. And now. Um, that particular case, I mean, as you said, that would be kind of looking even further ahead following the um, the Babylonian invasion and the, the Babylonian diaspora, right, when, when actually after Jerusalem was actually destroyed, um, where they succeeded, where the Assyrians failed, um, that there was this really just massive um, disbursement that went on. You had a very large Jewish population in Egypt, but... Even before that, though, there there really is some suggestion that there was already um, there was already a decent Hebrew population there in Egypt. Um, 
and, and we maybe we haven't dug those things up quite yet, or perhaps right. even the things that we see in Elephantine actually go back further, even even before the later stuff that we're aware of. Um, but the thing that I'm thinking about there is in verse 23. You know, it says, you know, in that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and Assyria will come into Egypt, and Egypt into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians that just even through this Assyrian um, crisis here, that this is going to cause um, this knowledge of the true God to happen. And that language, you know, that highway um, that's going out from Egypt, that's the same language we saw. I mean, it's almost exactly the same. It's it's very similar um, to what we saw in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 16, uh, which we read, you know, like a, a week or so ago. And it says there, you know, and there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. Right. I mean, so, so I mean, like you, you've got all this stuff that seems that seems very similar, which is pointing to this idea that after the north fell, after Samaria and you know um, Ephraim and all of that northern area, the ten tribes up there, after they were reduced to a tiny remnant. Um, in that process, that there were refugees who made it down to Egypt, and God has been using them to bless Egypt and to even turn them to repentance. Yeah. In fact, not only do you have that reference earlier in Isaiah, I, I think immediately of Isaiah 40, where, you know, uh, in the desert, prepare a way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. You know, right. so we have this language of God, you know, creating avenues for, for the gospel uh, to, to reach people uh, when, when before it wasn't happening. And, and so God making a way for the gospel to go forth in all the earth. Right. Well, yeah, no, and, and, so, th- and so this really actually, I think, is, is where you get something similar. Um, I mean, you, you still have like a, the- if you can put it this way, there's still a theology of the cross here, um, even before the cross is clearly seen. Um, even in God, the seeming defeat and destruction of God's people, yeah. God is actually using that to bless the nations. I mean, because that's—I mean—that's exactly what was said in, in John chapter eleven, right? That that our Lord Jesus would be lifted up and draw all peoples to Himself, right? And so God uses the destruction and the discipline of His own people to be a blessing to the nations and fulfill the promise and the covenant to Abraham. And so, you know, here He is, you know, disciplining and seemingly wiping them out and. There's hardly going to be anything left of those 10 northern tribes. But because of that, all these nations are being blessed. And so, I mean, there, there you see it. God is at work, even in the darkness, even in the destruction, even in the moments where we feel small. And we're like, we are just a tiny little remnant of God's people. And everyone else around me doesn't know the true God. And there's a lot of, you know, mockers and scoffers and all the rest that even in that darkness, God is mysteriously working to bless all the nations. Yes. In fact, one little thing I want to mention just briefly, even though there's a lot of debate about its meaning, but back in verse uh, 18, when it talks about one of the cities, we call the city of destruction. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the Hebrew word for destruction is uh, heres with a hey, and there's a lot of debate about what's going on here because there's different, there's some variants, but I I like the the interpretation that says heres sounds very similar to the other, another Hebrew word, Harris with a hey, with a hate rather than a hey. <laughs> and and oh, okay, so sure. some, some scholars debate that, you know, 
so uh, even though Harris means destruction, Harris means sun. And so they're thinking, well, the city of destruction would be the place known as Heliopolis, uh, the city of the sun. So what's the destruction language? Mm. The, the, idol, the idol of the sun has been destroyed and the Lord has taken its place. Okay. And, and as a yeah. result, the land is being blessed. Yeah. Yeah, no, that yeah, that's interesting. Well, well, yeah, no, that is, that is interesting. That um, yeah, no, that the, the text just does, yeah, it just says like city of the sun, kind of literally when you just look at that character there. But I mean, uh, anyone who knows a little bit of Hebrew knows that those two characters that you were talking about, like the difference is just uh, <laughs> you, you draw basically one of the lines a little bit longer. It's <laughs> yeah. uh, they're 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 pretty they're pretty close. Um, and so yeah, literally Heliopolis, right? You know, that's uh, the Greek term for it. You know, Helios. Um, we still use that in some of our technical science terms, like the heliosphere and stuff like that, right? Or uh, heliocentrism, things like that, referring to the sun. And so, yeah, here here is a, uh, you know, the the worship of the sun, right? Being, um, shall we say, um, anticipating the the worship of the true sun of God, right? I mean, it's like, I mean, just wow, it's uh, God just works poetry through history, doesn't he? No, it's, it's wonderful, yeah. And uh, so, I mean, you know, uh, uh, people might wonder, I, I liked your point earlier that, that you know, some of, the, some of the statements here in Isaiah chapter 19 can have multiple fulfillments in many ways. Sure. And, yeah. and I, I think especially in verses uh, 18 through the end of the chapter, we, we see here just a, a beautiful, almost poetic description of how the gospel is going to go forth in all the world. And, and, and we yeah. see how, you know, since the time of Christ, the Great Commission has, has, has drawn people from all tribes, tribes, languages, and nations. And, uh, and, yeah. and, 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 and we, we live in a wonderful time. Even though there's a lot of scary things going on in the world right now, we need to realize, hey, um, we Christians get to be part of this beautiful prophecy here as we, we continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ uh, with the world. Uh, it's a beautiful yeah. promise that the Lord gives us here. Well, yeah, and you, I appreciate the point that you were making earlier, just about the church in Egypt. I mean, that's just something that we do not think about. But yeah, I mean, the the church in Egypt, the Coptic church, I mean, that is one of like the most ancient Christian traditions, you know? I mean, and you have these like Christian communities that like have forms of worship that have been there in Egypt for just a long time. And, and, you know, we think sometimes like, you know, oh yeah, you know, our, our mission work to the, you know, to Africa and like, you know, like the church in Africa is like a new thing. Right. And right. The, you know, the Coptic Christians are there scratching their heads. Like we've been here for a while guys. Like, you know, a- African, African Christianity has been around like much longer than European Christianity um, in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, it's, uh, it's really striking. And as you said, you know, you have places like Alexandria where there were figures like, you know, Cyril and, you know, um, Athanasius, right. Uh, you have places like, um, you know, Hippo where you had Augustine, right. These were all like, you know, uh, you, you know, Egyptian, African, uh, Christians, right? I mean, and and so, I mean, really, this is anticipating what's going to happen in the in the day and in, in the in the year of the Lord, um, when when the Christian tradition just takes deep roots in Africa, in Egypt, and um, they, I mean, they're not going to be easily shaken. And I think I think we remember, you know, some of us might remember several. It was uh, I want to say like maybe three or four years ago already, um, but just the attacks that were carried out 
um, in Egypt against uh, the, the Coptic Christians, our Coptic brothers and sisters, and some of the uh, and some of them were, were even captured by by certain terrorist groups. And it was at the time it was like a really big thing in the news. But you know, um, all all of that, right? Even in the midst of just all the persecution, especially at the hands of um, these these radical um, right. Muslim groups, have not been able to eradicate of the faith in the true God there in Egypt. In fact, I remember seeing that picture of those you know, guys lined up on the beach that yeah. were getting ready yep. to be headed for their yep. faith. And I immediately thought of Revelation 7, where it talks about those who come out of the Great Tribulation, which is life in this world. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're, we're, we believers are strangers in a strange land. The Great Tribulation is life in this fallen world. And, and those men who were martyrs uh, for, for the Lord, uh, they, they, when they were martyred for the Lord, they came out of this Great Tribulation and, and are now part of that, that great kingdom of God, uh, the Church Triumphant. You know that's described right. in Revelation chapter seven, and and so we, you know, in, in the midst of of all the trials that Christians may face in this world, we need to remember uh, the victories already won and, and and the certain hope we have in Christ. Right, and, and you know, it's when I think about because I know that picture that you're talking about, I remember it, and um, you know, it's when I think about that picture, and then I can read verse twenty five and, and have it say, you know, blessed be Egypt, my people. Right. And Assyria, the work of my hands and Israel, my inheritance. And you think to yourself, amen, like God is how God has fulfilled his his words you know, beyond the expectations of anybody. You know, here we are, um, you know, thousands of years later, just drawing inspiration from the Egyptian church. Um, I mean, it's uh, it's I mean, who, who could have seen this happen? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's just so, such a comfort to us uh, to, to know that. You know, because uh, we, we sometimes we can get really negative when we when we see all the things going on, not only around the world, but even even in our own nation. You know, Christianity is, is has less and less influence in our country. Uh, but we we need to remember uh, the witnesses of of the martyrs and 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 remind ourselves of our gracious God and the hope we have in Him. And and as Jesus said, as much as we might not enjoy being persecuted, you know, uh, the words of Jesus: "Love your enemies." pray for those who persecute you. You know, uh, right. these people that, that uh, w- were killing these Coptic Christians, you know, uh, God wants us to pray that their hearts will be turned as well, that they might become part of, of, of his eternal kingdom in Christ. That, that, that's right. You know, you think of these Middle Eastern countries, right? Just like we were saying at the beginning of the hour, right? And you're thinking like, oh, they're just kind of hopelessly lost, right? I mean, you can't write them off. If you, if you can't write off Egypt, you can't write off anybody. You know, if God can convert and draw and call to repentance the house of slavery, I mean, anybody can repent then. You know, I mean, you, you can't you can't give up on, on anybody. Pray for your enemies, as the Lord says. And, you know, um, you were mentioning also, too, at the beginning of the hour, just how, you know, just going off of demographic trends, right, that the social scientists, you know, have identified and, you know, kind of uh, extrapolate. Um, out on, you know, yeah, it looks like, uh, you know, maybe Europe's going to be like a Muslim continent at some point. But, you know, we got to remember the same could have been said about Africa, right? right? It seemed like, you know, even though there was an early Christian presence there, right? We were just talking about that, just how influential the church in um, Egypt was in, among the, um, the church in Africa, right? Um, how after after that, a lot of it gets wiped out by the Muslims. A lot of them, like a lot of Muslim incursion goes into Africa and it seems like, okay, well, I guess Africa is going to be a, a Muslim continent, right? 
Well, not so fast, right? I mean, we've seen just in the last, you know, century, I mean, just how the church has just been taking off there in Africa. So, I mean, you just, you, you, you can't claim to know how the story's going to end, can you? No, that's, that's, uh, the, the God has wonderful things planned for those who trust in him. That's absolutely Right. And and so, yeah, so just, you know, kind of looking then overall here at, at this, at the shape of this here, this is certainly not an oracle uh, against Egypt. It's not even necessarily an oracle all about Egypt. It's just an right. Egypt oracle. It's just another site where we are just seeing more testimony to really this broad and, and global plan that God has. And I mean, it's, it's interesting how he puts the three together. There's a, there's a trio here. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, right? A blessing in the midst of the earth. And, and that's such a, it's a striking phrase because, you know, at the time, right, of Isaiah's life, everyone's like, you know, those are the superpowers, you know, Egypt and Assyria, you know, it's like the United States and the Soviet Union in a different era, right? Or whatever, or whatever the case may be, right? Um, and you're just thinking like, those are the superpowers. And then like, you know, here's Isaiah saying, and that day Israel will be a superpower, <laughs> you right. know, like, and you're like, what, like alongside Egypt and Syria, what, how is that possible? Right. right. I mean, that's, that's the thing with the perspective of faith that you see, you know, like, oh, the church is losing influence and like, oh, will there any be, be any church left? But you have to understand that for, with the spiritual perspective, the church is the superpower here. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. because if, if even Egypt can be can be swayed and moved to repentance um, by the work of God through the church, there's really no force on earth that's that's more powerful because of Jesus Christ, because he's the king. And I'm so glad you made that clear, because as you know, there are some brothers and sisters who misunderstand this as though uh, Isaiah is talking about the modern state of Israel, but you, you correctly pointed out here Isaiah is talking about the church, you know, the the, right. the people of God in Christ, you know, uh, ultimately drawing others through, through the gospel in, into uh, God's kingdom, uh, the kingdom of his son. So, yeah, I, I appreciate your take on that. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. All right. We we are the people of God. This is our prophecy. We've been grafted into the people of Israel. It's all con- it's all in continuity. So um, yeah, very good. Well, hey, thank you so much. It's it's been nice having you back with us again. And I hope the snow doesn't uh, keep falling, and that you have a happy Halloween and Reformation Day. <laughs> all right. You too. Thank you. Yeah. All right, everybody. That was Pastor Thomas Eckstein, pastor Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Thanks for joining us today. Check out our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Till next time, peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.